Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, I met today's guest, Lauren Fitch, at an event a few years back and was fascinated by her mix of really serious business chops and this quest to do business in this more joyful way, so earning serious money and living the good life. And obviously, if you know anything about me, you know that's the way to my heart. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited to dive into this with you. But first, can you walk us through your business journey? Because it's really quite unusual and quite fascinating. Sure. So I really started as an entrepreneur when I was eight years old. And my brothers and I sold birdhouses and lemonade at the end of our very long driveway. We were perfectly situated because we were on a very busy highway. And had lots of traffic, but also had a really good spot for cars to pull in and turn around. So it was very convenient. And we we all had our own sort of little businesses through high school. I was making purses that I sold. They were kind of Kate Spade knockoffs, if I'm really honest about it. <laughs> and then I, I made dresses for my girlfriends and sorority sisters in college and you know sold them. And after college, I knew that the the traditional path for someone like me was to go into investment banking. This was the early 2000s or consulting where you were on a plane every week. And I knew that was not my path. And within the first year after college, I decided I am going to figure this out. It's not going to look like someone else's path. And I did some continuing ed and eventually ended up in Italy where after... (laughs) doing some time as a glorified English teacher in a household that was very well connected in the fashion industry. I bought a bunch of samples from designers I thought had potential. I got home to the US. I used my uh, credit card to buy a car. And (laughs) I started traveling up and down the East Coast, selling new brands into boutiques and what are called the majors. So the major department stores like Nordstrom, Saks, et cetera. And that was my first trial by fire with sales and marketing, with entrepreneurship as a full-fledged business. And look, it was hard. The industry is cutthroat. It still is. And I also started to consult with my designers. So I got to touch other parts of their business, including merchandising, design, production, sourcing, supply chain, PR, training. So when their stuff does get picked up in a store, could I go train the store's employees to help them sell the product, understand the product, and then sell the product better? And so that really quite short in the grand scheme of things because I've been an entrepreneur almost half of my life, you know, officially. So I'm 40 now and I've, I've been at this almost 20 years and certainly there have been lots of iterations, but that very concentrated period of time where I got to touch everything gave me breadth, but also depth. And I was able to pivot and then apply those same principles to 
a whole variety of other organizations and always from the top down. I went in working with the leaders, so the CEOs typically or a CFO, and then I got to to work with the teams underneath, whether it was the C-suite or a sales team. And that was a, a really wonderful and energizing part of my business. And I realized that I was on a treadmill that I had created. So I was working for myself, but my schedule looked very much like that consulting schedule that I wanted to avoid, which is travel every week on a plane in people's offices. I had someone at home whose job was to pack and unpack my suitcases and take care of my home because I could not do it. It was insane. And, you know, I had someone making my food because I didn't have time for that. And I thought, this is not how I want to live. And it was shortly after that that I met my husband, my now husband, and I moved to New York and my personal life took a, it, it had more weight for me at that time. And I started to play with different iterations of how can we do business and be very successful and use the immense knowledge that we've accrued over time from learning from other people and also from lived experience. But how can we do this differently so that we nourish our whole being so that I can have time to practice yoga or go out into the forest and take walks or spend time with my husband and now my child and you know, they say the the old axiom necessity is the mother of invention is we've all heard that. And I think it's especially true. I, I have a daughter who's very high needs and she's had a long battle with an autoimmune disorder that has been harrowing and it turned my entire world upside down. And as this was going on and I was experiencing postpartum depression, and then I was experiencing the PTSD of of my daughter's incredible illness. And then, yay, other, <laughs> other assaults on my personal safety, frankly, that left me spinning. And yet I still had clients I had to show up for. Fewer, but still had to show up for. I still had my daughter and my husband and I had myself I had to show up for. So I went through a, a really, you know, trial by fire again, but this time it was how can I make sure that I take care of myself so that I can be present to the people around me and also serve my clients in the way that I want to and make a difference, not just help people make more money, but how can we do business differently so that we're simultaneously changing paradigms on what is success and how do we define it and how do we achieve it in a different way that is not going to, to sacrifice our mental health how can we not sacrifice our creative practices? How can we not sacrifice our life force on the altar of someone else's idea of success? And so the, the impetus for all that started years ago when I, when I started my business, and it's only come to a, a fruition in the models I've created over the past, I'd say 10 years and been able to practice with, and my licensees, of course, teach the same models to their clients. And now we've seen over and over, you know, hundreds of people at this point have gone through the joy money matrix process. We see that the world wants a sea change and we have all just been through this collective trauma, right? Of COVID. And then there's been a lot of hardship on many levels. And we're over the past, let's say four years. Okay. So there's been unrest. We're starting to reconcile race. 
we've got the Me Too movement. There's a lot happening and COVID's just one part of it. And so we need as a collective better tools to serve ourselves and money is still making the world go round. So money is a necessary part of it. And how can we come at it from a place of sacred commerce instead of something that is degenerative? Business doesn't have to be degenerative. And that's ultimately the focus of where my business is now is the intersection of, of, as you said, joy and revenue and creating a new paradigm for how we bring these two things together to serve us instead of our lives serving them. I just want to clarify for anyone listening that when you say that you started bringing in new designers and things, and then you were consulting, there are some really large names in that consulting space. I know Lauren is super modest and she doesn't name drop, but if she told you names of clients, these are well-known names of clients. This is not her consulting for small indie fashion brands. This was big business. So she comes with super huge chops and super huge money behind her when she talks about this stuff. So I just wanted to make sure that was really clear because I think you are really modest about your background. So I want to introduce the kind of joy and money combo in a very gentle way because you know we don't want to spook people with too much just yet. But I think one of your recent posts, I think I messaged you almost immediately afterwards because you were talking about the vocabulary we use as entrepreneurs and we talk about deadlines and to-do lists, but you were talking about how you use different words to describe those things in order to make it a more joyful experience. And I think that's a really easy entry point for all of us. So can we talk about a couple of those examples? Yes. So I love that you asked this. Thank you. And so I'm going to take you back many years. Okay. My dad has been an entrepreneur since 1988 and he and I share some similarities. We're probably fairly neurodiverse. He likes to own what he's doing. And so I've had an example, a template for entrepreneurship from a a young age, right? So I I was seven when he started his business and he started his business because he kept getting fired. (laughs) So let's be real. And, and so when I showed an interest in entrepreneurship, we started talking about how most people say, Oh, I have to go to work. And it's this sort of hang dog four letter word work. And so my dad and I, together came up with a new word that we used to replace work. This is, you know, 20 years ago. And that word is an acronym, E-M-M-A. We don't usually use the acronym EMMA. We usually say the full thing and it's enjoyable money-making activities. And that's actually the kernel of Joy Money Matrix. Like you can see it, right? Enjoyable money-making activities. And so, and, and, and look at my smile, right? The second I say enjoyable money-making activities, I'm like, yeah, but we are conditioned around work to such a degree that work is for many a four-letter word. Like I don't ever want to participate in a TGIF culture, right? Why is it TGIF? Because that's when you finish the work week and go about your pleasurable life. I think that's really messed up, frankly. And I want us to be in a place, and this is a place of privilege. I do want to acknowledge that, that we get to to actively choose doing enjoyable money-making activities, sometimes a small bit each day, 
sometimes for the, the majority of our days, but that we bring the intention and energy to it, not the other way around. And so EMMA became the the first way that I saw the power of reframing and then also new vocabulary. And I'm a word nerd. Okay. I love etymology. I think it's so interesting. And I often will go to various dictionaries to find the real definition of something. If it's a word that we're just so accustomed to. So a couple of the other words that people in my community were having really deep conversations about one specifically is the word goal. And you might think goal, but goals are positive, right? Well, goals come with a lot of expectation and a lot of weight. The other thing about a goal is that it intrinsically is saying that there is an end point. And for the people who I tend to hang out with, we know that the end point is not actually the point. It's all the process leading up to that, which is where the magic lies. And so for us, the word goal just felt very heavy. And then when you look at the etymology and and the word is actually similar to a word, it's not used in the US, but the word for jail, right? And so anybody who's listening in the UK would know that I believe, I haven't looked into that, the gaoler, I don't know how to say it in like British English, but it's, I believe an Anglo-Saxon word is my guess. And the the combination of, of that just the connection, regardless of whether etymologically connected, just the connection in our, in our sounds between the two and between the writing of the two is really fascinating. And so we were like, you know what? We need a new word for goal. Now, we haven't come up with one that we all collectively were like, this is the one. Each person has sort of chosen something that she thinks represents. And, and that that is an ongoing conversation. I'm going to continue to have that conversation. Another word that we have changed is the word, the to-do list. I do not like that word. I think it feels really boring and not fun. And so I was like, well, what's another, another approach? Okay. I use a plan of action. And again, you can see my face light up. When I say plan of action, I'm excited about a plan of action and a plan of action um, feels like there's less judgment as well. And there's less of a time deadline. And you mentioned deadlines and this is for anybody who cares to adopt this new approach. I don't use deadlines. I don't use deadlines with my team. I don't use deadlines with myself. And that is like really transgressive in the world of business. And it's, to me, it gets done when it gets done and it gets done in its own perfect timing. So you have to have a couple of different belief systems for that to work for you in your, in your milieu, if you will. But for me, just having freedom means that I can work in a way that honors my flow. Sometimes I work very fast. Sometimes I need more space. And I love the freedom and the permission to allow my work to come to me as opposed to going out and forcing it, making it happen by a certain point. That said, if someone else gives me a deadline that I have to hew to, then I will make sure that I build in cushions of time so that it feels joyful in the moment. And I'm not, uh, I actually had a quote unquote, someone else's imposed deadline last night. It felt super good to commit to, to meeting that in a way that was 
honoring my own rhythms. And I did some things and it's maybe a longer conversation, but I did some things very differently that maybe other people wouldn't do in order for it to feel really good as I completed that. So it's interesting when you said plan of action, like to me, that has a real results focus. Like I'm actually doing something towards something. So I really like that one. To-do list does feel to me like I've got this admin list that I just need to just churn through, like very corporate word for me. I think deadlines, I kind of got there in the end with you because for me, I love an external deadline. I mean, I'm corporate trained. There's nothing like a deadline looming at me to get me into action. But like you, I have always been the person who started that work earlier rather than later because there's nothing more stressful to me than feeling like it's coming up in 24 hours, 48 hours, and I haven't done it. That to me is so stressful. So like you, I've adjusted what does that look like? What can I commit to? And that deadline, quote unquote, is what's allowed me to get consistent with my content. It's what's got me over the hump of not being able to blog for years when no one cared if I blogged versus being able to podcast twice a week, every week for nearly a year because I know I have an external kind of obligation to that. So I feel like it's a work in progress. Like I'm with you and it sounds lovely to not have deadlines, but I also feel like I would do nothing. So it, it's a lot about understanding the own your own best ways of working. So I wouldn't necessarily advocate the absence of deadlines for everyone, right? Especially depending on their team and how their team functions. It requires a lot of self-knowledge and it requires a lot of self-trust. And there are a couple of things that I've put in place. So I, I speak specifically, I call my people rebels and mystics, creatives and empaths, even though we know empaths are very rare, okay? highly sensitive and the right brain, right? Those are my people. And a lot of us have come out of very like corporate structured backgrounds. So the challenge that I had when, when helping these clients who have really ingrained habitual rebel patterns is, okay, how do we make sure that you have gentle structure? I liken it to, you know, the inflatable like pillows on the bowling alley, on the gutters. It's like that. And so I teach a whole curriculum around, I call it ritual and reward, but it's a whole curriculum around gentle structures that invite ritual and some habit because habit and ritual are different so that you don't end up in that completely, that space of utter procrastination and non-action, right? But that that psyche, the rebel needs something that's different from frankly, and God love Todd Herman, but we need something different from the 90 day year and these very granular sort of, this is my to-do list. It needs to be more flowing. It needs to allow more time for space. And it has to have, it has to have a a component of gentle structure. And that gentle structure is going to look fairly different for, for different people. But I have found that that methodology of ritual and reward has provided the pathway to abandon deadlines because things are still getting done because of the gentle structure without needing a hard date. So let's talk about the ritual element because I'm sure that many people like me are picturing you and obviously I know you and you are 
super creative and into exploring lots of different things. But when I hear the word ritual, I am thinking like crystals and altars. And I know that anything can be a ritual because sports people have rituals and things. But I do think that that is where our mind goes, especially in the entrepreneurial space, because a lot of people have made that sort of element a core part of their business teaching or their lifestyle teaching. So let's talk about rituals and and what that actually means and then how that helps us with that that gentle structure so that we can be this more joyful person. Yeah. So ritual is what allowed me during COVID, during a time when my daughter was still very sick and undiagnosed as yet. And it helped me. I wrote an entire album of songs. I am not a songwriter, people. An album of songs. I hosted the Ritual and Reward workshop for 200 people who had never known anything about me (laughs) and also put two properties on the market and all the work associated with that and made an international move in a period of about four months during COVID and we had COVID. (laughs) So it was insane. 2020 was insane, but ritual is what made that possible. So let me give you an idea of like what, and without going crazy, what ritual can mean and how I define it. Because I think that you're very right. The, when we hear the word ritual, we tend to go towards the sort of more new age spirituality. And look, I love a crystal, you know, I, I love an altar and that's not the essence of what a ritual is. So the way that I think about ritual is that it is a, an action that we undertake with presence and mindfulness. Okay, so in that way, washing our dishes can become a ritual if we do it with intention, presence. Um, You know, a great example for people who are parents is reading your children books in the evening in a very present way is a ritual, certainly for them. And I love that you brought in athletes because that's a more accessible place, I think, to go. So let me share with you a ritual that I had. So I was a college athlete. I was a rower. And we've all seen, you know, tennis players specifically tend to have rituals before they serve. You'll see that some tennis players bounce the ball a certain number of times. They adjust something on their body always like it could be their wristbands or their headbands or whatever. Some of them move their feet in a certain way and then they serve, right? For me in college, I had a ritual that was that combined a couple things. And in the way I teach ritual, you can choose from a buffet, if you will, of options when crafting a ritual. Simple is always better. Crystals, not necessary. But the ritual can encompass things like beauty, creativity. It has to have presence. It can also include other elements if you so choose, but at their core, the idea is that you want to apply emotion to an activity that is done physically so that you create a positive feedback loop. You're creating new neuronal pathways so that you associate positive emotions and outcomes with this action. So you want to do it. So it becomes, it's not a habit. Habit is mindless, right? Habit is, this is just what I do. I could be 80 miles away, but this is what I do. Ritual is not that. Ritual is being incredibly present. So 
my ritual when I got in the boat before a race was something that I had to train myself for. It's not something that happens, you know, immediately. And I chose a, a little motion. And I knew that if I pressed my thumb to my pointer finger, I was going to calm my central nervous system. I was going to calm my nerves and I was going to be more relaxed. And I would usually take a deep breath, get really centered, took no time. No one else would even know I'm doing it, but it was my ritual so that I could prepare myself at the start line to be ready to go. Okay. Now, when you're thinking about ritual, that that's one thing that can change my state, right? I have rituals around my financial admin. I have rituals around plant care. I have rituals around my writing and business planning. I have rituals around content creation. And it sounds like a lot of work, but rituals actually take things off your to-do list because once something has become a ritual, it no longer needs to go on your plan of action because you just do it, but you do it mindfully, not like a habit, right? So rituals for, for me and then for the, the people who have come through the ritual and reward program, they form a loose and gentle structure so that they are excited to do the things that maybe in the past they had dragged their feet on a little bit. So if someone is really struggling with podcasting, for example, then they would want to create a really nice ritual to lead up to their podcasting and then to bring closure to that session so that they're training their brain to be down with this yummy, delicious ritual. And sometimes you need to add a little bit more oomph, which is why it's called ritual and reward. Sometimes you need a little carrot. And ultimately what happens is once you do it enough with the carrot, you won't no longer need the carrot because you've trained your brain to enjoy doing whatever it is, which has happened with me. I used to need a carrot to do my um, financial admin, specifically in taxes. I no longer need that because I actually enjoy the process because I've ritualized it. So that for me is the ultimate goal that we're not just like cracking a whip and making ourselves do the necessary things we need to do to make money. It's that we've created a dance of life that we get to participate in. And it is again, generative versus degenerative to be approaching it that way. It doesn't require willpower, energy, force. Let's stick with the financial stuff because people have so much around this, like not wanting to check bank accounts, not wanting to do financials, bookkeeping, spreadsheets, panic, panic. So let me break it down. For my financials, and I'm really open about this because I know that this is a very alternative approach to to getting things done. So on Mondays, I have Money Mindset Mondays. So that's always the day. It's a theme, right? That's one way to create gentle structure. Money Mindset Mondays for me generally look like I do a specific money mindset activity on what my belief system is, and then I can release it. I have a small ritual around it. It's super chill. It literally just involves some music and I'm, I'm feeling super inspired. Then maybe I'll light a candle, right? And it's the process that feels really good. And if I miss it for a Monday, it's no big deal, <laughs> but that's what I do. I have my money Mondays and that's important, right? And because I like it and I've created a, a pleasant ritual around it, I want to do it. And when I don't do it, I miss it. Now, when it comes to admin, I also have a theme day. So that's Friday, finance Fridays. I do a lot of things related to finance. So 
on finance Fridays, that's when I, and I'm managing a couple different businesses at this point, because we have a business interest in the Dominican Republic that has several different arms. And then I have my own business. And then we've also got our real estate in the U S so finance Fridays is where a lot of the, the stuff that we tend to put off gets done. And I do it on Fridays because I don't schedule meetings and it's a theme. Okay. And in order to help me with it, especially at the beginning, I gave myself a reward at the end. So I use that usually in conjunction with doing what I call my financial rounds, which is checking balances and just making sure that everything's set because we live in now a different country. So we have bank accounts in multiple countries. The ritual is really simple. Again, I play really good music. I sometimes wear a costume because I think it's important to embody abundance. And one way that I can help myself do that from the outside in is by wearing a costume. So I'll put on like, I have this glamorous silk caftan with gold um, sequins on it. And it's super luxe. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. And I, I put on jewelry and that's enough. That has enough conjuring power for me, talismanic power to get into the, the, finances because I'm like being a mogul, right? That's what I'm doing. It's really helpful to hear you kind of walk through it because that's not what I was expecting from rituals. And as you were talking about it, things were clicking for me where I do things in my life. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, hang on, A, I need more joy. B, I'm down for these rituals, whether they want the crystals or don't want the crystals, where's the best place for them to figure out how to get started with this? So I think the best place is I have a joyful entrepreneur quiz and you can find out your snapshot in time. Where are you when it comes to joy and revenue? And so you can take that quiz. It's on my website, joymoneymatrix.com. And I think that's the best place to start because armed with that information, you can see oh, do I need more joy in my life? Do I need more revenue in my life? Do I need a little bit of both? And then when you take that quiz, you get a pretty in-depth PDF as well as a video describing the particulars that can help you move into both greater joy and revenue, depending on the type that you come at us. Awesome. So to finish up, I ask all my guests two questions. And I think based on our conversation, your answers to these are going to be really interesting. So the first one is, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? You can only pick one. I know I have so many. This is such a good question. Okay. My number one, and this is for me, period, is do what you say you will do. So I am a perfectionist and recovering from being incredibly independent, like over-independent, which is essentially a trauma response, right? And so I have to do what I say I will do, which is right now it comes out in management and it's requiring me to, instead of being laissez-faire about things, it's requiring me to set up very clear expectations for all the people that I'm working with in any capacity, whether they're clients or contractors or team. And then also making sure that they know what I expect of them and that I am going to show up for them to check on things in, in a specific way upfront. It's been a huge challenge for me 
because I just want to do things myself and then, you know, get mad if someone doesn't do it the way I would do it, which is also very controlling and doing what I say I will do, which is leading by example and managing in a way that grows other people has really required me to step up in a way that I was not expecting. So I have to do what I say, what I will do. And then I also expect them to follow suit. That's a big boundary. Okay. So this one, I think is going to be even tougher for you to answer, but what's the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you've been given? Or in your case, it might be the one that you hear that is a complete pet peeve for you. Oh gosh, I have so many. Oh my gosh, I have so many, but let's see. I think the, I'm just going to say this. You know what? I used to parrot best practices to my corporate clients. I so regret that now, although, you know, our outcomes were still good, right? I no longer believe that best practices exist. I invite anybody to try things on for size, but know that there is not going to be a magic bullet to solve whatever is your problem. It's wonderful to learn about other people's approaches, but to to think that there is a best practice, I think is a fallacy at this point in our evolution as business owners. Yeah, it is such a corporate thing. And it really does come from legal and accounting and compliance and regulation. And that's usually the driver behind best practice. It's how do I stay on the right side of the line? It was never meant as a business model. Like this is like best practice and business model, not the same thing. If you were in a highly regulated industry, please keep doing whatever best practices are or you will get sued. Please don't listen to Lauren. Everybody else, not the same thing as a business model. I haven't even thought about that wording since leaving corporate. And I just felt the whole thing in my body when you said it, like that immediate, like I'm going to get into trouble. So that is a really good one. And I don't think one that we've had, so... Awesome. Well, this has been super fun. I always love our conversations. They always just like go off at like a tangent of like nowhere that I was expecting. So what's the best place for people to connect with you? Is it social? Is it your website? I know people are going to want to continue this conversation. I know people are going to want to tell you their rituals. Yes. Tell me your rituals. I want to know because everybody already has them. And then when you start thinking about them in this way, then you'll be like, oh, I do that. I do that. So you can email me. Lauren at laurenfritch.com. I welcome all email conversation. And if you want to slide into DMs, that's fun too. I'm not going to direct you one way or the other. I really like email connection at this point. It's really fun and nice. This has been so fun. It really has transformed the ritual thought for me from something that just felt very not my jam into something that like, oh wait, I'm already doing that. How can I just incorporate it more? So I'm excited to try it. Thank you so, so much. This has been great. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review.